Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 75 of Maximize Your Influence. We are here and ready to roll after a crazy Super Bowl that we will talk a little bit about later in the show because it's always a great example of advertising and persuasion. And it was a certainly a fun game. I got to catch the last two minutes on my way home from Orange County. From what I understand, that's what you really wanted to catch. And I thought so. Pretty amazing stuff. How you doing, Kurt? Oh, doing well. Yeah, the game, I guess some were excited, some were disappointed. Last two minutes, weird play. They'll be talking about that one for a while. They'll talk about the commercials for a while. But hey, you know, I'm feeling good. And I, you know what? There's therapy around the corner. You know that? Do you know what's coming to town? What What's coming to town? The boat the show? Boat show. Ah, the yeah. boat show. You knew that was coming. That's my yeah. winter therapy, right? Got to go to the boat show. I'm not yeah. a big fan about cars, but you start showing me boats, it puts a big smile on my face. Like... One of my favorite things, I think you like to do this too, is the boat show in Miami. You're just going to see the slips, those yachts in Miami. You're like, wow, let's yeah. dream, dream big. That is good stuff. That makes me smile. Uh, those are not cheap. And you know, they say about a yacht, if you ask, have to ask about the gas mileage, you shouldn't be yacht shopping, <laughs> right? right? Yeah, I stayed at a hotel there right on the, off the water, and they had special slips for those big old yachts to pull up, and they had room service coming out to the yachts. It was pretty nice. I liked it. That's intense. Yeah. That's, I, that's the good life. It is the good life. I had some friends. They they want to go on a cruise. And you know I've always wanted to do this. It leaves out of L.A., goes down the Mexican Riviera, through Central America, through the Panama Canal, through the Caribbean, and ends in Puerto Rico. That would be cool. That is. I've done both sides of that cruise, and I've been to the Panama Canal, but I haven't done that whole thing. But you have to do the math, because I think it's a 10- or 12-day cruise, yeah. 2 pounds a day. Okay, you're looking, since we have to talk about food, 20 pounds, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, you got to commit. And I'll tell you this, it's worth it. Just lose 10, 15 pounds before you go, break even, everyone will be happy. That's right. <laughs> and that is how you do a cruise. That's how I would do it. You bet. I'm just no way I'm <laughs> cutting back. I'll cut back before and a little bit after, but hey, giddy up. That's good eating. I'm planning out the 10 year anniversary and we're considering a cruise, but I, you know, I think we're going to just pull the trigger and go to St. Lucia. Ooh, that's beautiful. St. Lucia's green, gorgeous waterfalls. The people are nice. Although that's French, I believe. I think they were speaking French. I was there. So. Not as easy to communicate, but most of them know English anyway, so I guess it won't be that big of a deal. Are you trying to subtly offend the French? Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta offend somebody. I mean, it's part of our show. Food, offending people, a little influence, we're good to go. Take that, French. Feel offended. <laughs> That's right. Uh, if you have to tell somebody, hey, feel offended, you probably didn't do a very good job at offending them. Yeah, I'll have to work on that. <laughs> this my, is the part my, where you're supposed to feel offended. Right? My goal for the year is to be more offensive. I'll work on it, guys. I'll work on it. Yeah, well, we talked about that last week, a little goal review, and you, that's <laughs> something you should always do. Always review those goals and where you're at. I've been going through a pretty good book called Living Your Best Year Ever by Darren Hardy. He's the publisher of Success Magazine, and that's a pretty good book. It has a weekly breakdown, and you have your three banner goals for the year and what you need to do every month and day and week, and, and it's it's pretty cool. It's it, it breaks it down pretty well. If you really want to get aggressive on that, guys, I would recommend that book. 
Living Your Best Year Ever by Darren Hardy. There's your plug. Good stuff. Yeah, I don't even get anything for that. Darn it. <laughs> you know what I do get something for? Awkward segue. Oh, University okay. of Persuasion. Woohoo! Tell us. Yeah, well, full disclosure, if you subscribe to University of Persuasion, Kurt and I get paid. <laughs> yes, please subscribe. Yeah. All these freebie stuff. You've, you've, we've proved our worth. Come on, go see it. That's exactly right. Go to universityofpersuasion.com. There are free options on there if you just can't that's, get down into your wallet. <laughs> there are lots of great options on there, full years worth of training. And, and believe me, you'll be shocked at how low of a price it is. Go there. Check it out. I dare you. And if you're not shocked, email me your hate mail at maximizeyourinfluence at gmail.com. How's that? For less than a Honda Civic. Is that good contrast? <laughs> I don't think it's good contrast, but it is true. It oh, there, is true. That's, it is true. That is true. You yeah. can subscribe for less than a cost of a Honda Civic. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> He's so weird. I love it. Okay. <laughs> Let's get on with it today because you have an article, and some of you are exercising, you're doing your weight loss goals, your fitness goals for the new year. I know I have been. And today, I was uh, doing a workout video, and they had me in the high plank position, and I had to hold it for a minute, do that a couple of times in a row. Ooh, and that is hard, right? Everything screams at you, and I need a little assistance there, and it sounds like the article that you have might be of help. You bet. I'm sure our listeners, when they were reading the Journal of Motivation and Emotion, came across this study, but let me share Yes, with I'm you. sure they did. <laughs> The title is Focusing on Target Ahead Makes Exercise Seem Easier. So on your next walk, for example, if you focus on a specific target ahead, that can make the distance appear shorter, help you get there faster. And this is what they found out at New York University. And it's interesting that when you look at the big picture, you see the goal. They hypothesize at first that the goal line would appear closer and increase walking speed and reduce feelings of physical exertion. And ding, 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 it did. And it's especially true when you have that feeling. And I'm sure this never happens to you, Steve. That feeling of not wanting to exercise, right? <laughs> Every single morning. <laughs> happens all the time. And so... They chose some volunteers, and what they did is they narrowed their attention to something that was in the future, something that they could see down the road. And even when they were estimating the distance, as far as the amount of effort it would take, when they saw the big picture, they looked ahead, could see the goal, it made everything easier. It made it seem like it was less energy, that it was closer, that it wasn't as big a deal as they thought. Kind of an interesting thing as we talked about goals, as we talked about vision, so maybe if you're going for a walk, maybe you want to do a straightaway where you can see the goal, where you can see the end, because it makes a huge difference in your ability to not only get yourself motivated to do it, but in the perceived effort of doing it. Yeah, that's true. These workout videos, P90X that I've been doing, which is a tough, it's a tough video. P90X. Done those. Is, yeah, that is a tough one. Yeah, yeah. They say you should already be in shape before you do it. That's my <laughs> mistake. <laughs> yeah. They've got that countdown timer on every exercise, and that, that just helps me so much because I know this is all I have time left. And on some of them that are really hard, I actually count down to myself. I do it in five-second bursts. I just count to five, and then I'm like, okay, you counted to five. Now do it again. <laughs> I have to take it in, in five-seconds bursts because it's so painful. <laughs> they are painful. You can see that big picture, that vision, the end of the road. So. If they didn't have a countdown clock and you had no idea 
your perceptions would change, the perceived exertion would change, your motivation would change. So there's something about knowing, okay, this is a minute, it's going to be tough, but I can see that it's counting down, I can see that I'm almost done, I can see I only have 10 seconds left, makes a big difference, not only in exercise, but any type of goal that you have. Yeah, that that happened to my kids the other day. We were on a long drive, and I've made the drive a million times. I know how much time is left, but they're in the back melting down. How much longer? They don't have any perception of when the end is and what the target is. So, of course, they go crazy. That and their kids, right? That and their kids, and it takes forever and no frontal lobe. And time seems to stand still at that age. I think all those things take play. Wow, kids. We don't want to go on that. <laughs> Much more difficult than any prospect, right? This is true. If you handle little kids, you can handle any prospect. And speaking of kids, my daughter, we, uh, we caught her telling a lie the other day. So we've been sorting through that and how we need to deal with that. So that and plus a lot of suggestions and comments from viewers. You want to hear more about deception and how you can detect it and get an idea for if somebody is trying to deceive you. And it may not be outright. Maybe they just want to fudge some little details. And be, heck, you know, the best liars are the ones who know how to tell half-truths, right, along with uh, their deception. So we thought it would be a good idea to get into that a little bit more today on how you can do that, because we certainly don't want you to waste your time with dead-end prospects or people who don't really have the the option to make a decision or somebody who really just uh, doesn't really intend on ever telling you yes, but is just leading you along because they want to be polite. People do that. So we're going to get a little bit more into deception today and probably into the next episode as well. So Kurt, when somebody is deceiving you, is there really, from your point of view as a persuader, does it make a difference whether they're just doing it to be nice or they're just downright evil? Yeah, I mean, that's what you have to take a look at. And Well, first of all, a disclaimer, we're not talking about detecting deception so you become better liars. This is to help you detect them. And that's a judgment call you have to make as an influencer, as a persuader. All right, you caught them in a lie. Is that a, a momentary lapse of character or is that a character flaw? I mean, that's the moment of truth to really tell what's going on, the severity. Is this really a repeat offender, what's going on? How bad do you want to do business in the future? Does this cause you not to ever want to do business? So, I mean, a little white lie here and there. You've got to decide whether that's right or wrong. In fact, the studies are interesting that 40% of people felt that lying is justified sometimes. 65% said it was okay to protect someone's feelings. And how about this? 33% said it was okay to lie about being sick for work when you're not. So <laughs> with, with all these different politicians, I think lying is becoming more acceptable. Not that it is. But it's interesting how things have evolved over the last you know, 10, 15 years. Yeah, the morality is getting uh, fuzzy, right? Yeah. <laughs> a little bit fuzzy. They should have asked how many people think it's okay to lie on your taxes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I think that people would be afraid to answer that because they get tracked down because, you know. Yeah, big brother. Phone conversations. Yeah, how's it going, NSA? I can see the NSA from my house, so I like to wave <laughs> that location. <laughs> Hopefully I'm in their digital shadow. There but, you go. Uh, I don't know. So – Probably a good idea to break this whole deception thing down, Kurt, into two categories. Tell me what you think here. There are verbal cues and there are nonverbal cues to deception. Are there not? There so are. why don't we start with verbal cues? Well, let's start with verbal cues. That is something that you can use whether you're face-to-face. -face. And the great thing about that, too, is you can also use it over the phone because you can't see them. 
And you have to understand that it takes a lot more mental energy to lie than to tell the truth. And that's important because the brain is working more and thinking less about other things. And so you can pick up on these things. We're natural lie detectors when we train ourselves to do this. So a couple things you can look for is longer pauses. Now, we've talked about this before. Remember, we're looking for the default setting. Let's talk to them before they get nervous. Let's talk to them before they lie. Let's talk about the weather, things that don't make them stress out. So you are looking for their standard default setting of their behavior. Then when you start seeing two, three, four of these, you see that cluster, and that's a red flag that they are lying. So again, that mental energy is going. You're going to see that longer pauses because they're thinking of an answer. You're going to see an increase in vocal fillers. Um, or, uh, you know, that's a sign that the brain is thinking a lot more. More speech errors, maybe in vocabulary or just basic grammar. Those are some things you could look at. You also need to take a look at their volume. Has their volume changed? Are they starting to mumble more than they were during their standard behavior? Is it softer? Is it louder? Those are the type of things that you can look at. The main thing you have to look at is that their brain's kicking into high gear. They're thinking more. They're making things up. That takes so much more effort than just recalling exactly how it happened. Yeah. Telling lies and being deceptive, it burns a lot of calories. Right? <laughs> it does. That's why lawyers are skinny. Oh, <laughs> did I say that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well, okay. Remember, they're they're exempt. We don't have to apologize oh, or worry about. Lawyers are just free game. <laughs> it's like hunting coyotes. You can get as many of them as you want. So, See, that might be a good sign. You look at the next political candidates, depending how skinny they are is how much they're lying. Yeah. study right there. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> don't get me on political candidates right now. So I, I, I've noticed, too, I dealt business with a guy once that, he kind of was the poster child for, for deception. And I'm not going to use his last name. We'll just say it was Jones. All right. So we noticed that when Mr. Jones was trying to cover his tracks or lie, he would insist on something being the opposite of what it actually was over and over again. And so we would call that the Jones principle, right? Where if somebody is not honest, they're going to be talking about how honest they are all the time because they're compensating. And that's kind of the whole along the whole lines of the more they're trying to stress something and the more they're trying to to drive that home, the less it's probably true, because if it really is the truth, I mean, do you have to do you have to sell it that hard? Does that make any sense? No, it does, because they're almost testing to see if you believe them. They can't believe that you believe them. They keep talking about it and you haven't said anything. And they keep bringing it up and bring it up and bring it up to the point like, whoa, whoa, now I know you're lying. The first time I wasn't sure, but now I know you're lying because it's, especially with teenagers do it all the time where they just reiterate it too much. They talk about it too much. They say it too much. Adults, well, I'm an honest person. I'm a God-fearing person. I'm a this type of person. Like, well, you shouldn't have to tell me that. I should just know from your behavior. Then that's like, whoa, red flag. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. You and I used to joke too that, if we ever met somebody in in our first meeting, in our first business meeting with them, if they ever quoted the Bible, uh, <laughs> that, that that was a huge red flag, right? <laughs> yeah, nothing wrong with the Bible. If they bring it up in a presentation, that's a big red flag. Especially when you're just getting to know them, mm -hmm. right? And it's, it doesn't have to be the Bible, any religious book, because they're just really trying to drive home the point of, hey, look what I do, look what I read. I just like to say that don't talk about how honest you are, just be honest. Right? There you go. Yeah, that's just... the... Just show us. <laughs> yeah. I think, too, that 
somebody who doesn't have to talk about who can give short and concise answers. You can just tell they're not laboring to to come up with this. It's it's a fact. The brain doesn't have to work nearly as hard to say a fact than it does to, you know, just make up BS. And that's the thing. When you tell them the truth, you expect people to believe you because it's the truth. But when you're lying, you're always testing. Are they believe me? I got to tell it another way and a new story and do it this way. It's almost like people that tell truths are playing offense and people that lie are playing defense. And it's two different realities. Right, right. So here's here's one for you. Do people who are being deceptive, do they talk faster? It depends. <laughs> it does. Usually it's slower because they're thinking more. But you're going to see a change. Remember, we're looking at their default setting. They're standing. You're going to see a change. Sometimes when they want to get past the detail really fast, they might speed up or they might mumble a little bit. You'll see it different there. But most people tend to slow it down a little bit because they're thinking more, and it causes their rate of speech to slow down. Yeah, yeah. Typically, you'll ask them a yes or no question. And, and somebody who tells the truth, right, you say, hey, tell me where you were yesterday. Well, I was here. Or were you over here yesterday? Yes. They give a quick, concise yes or no. And then, like you said, the change of pace kicks in. And, you know, we were there because such and such. And they give a long, drawn-out explanation a little slower because their brain is having to come up with it. It never really happened. But somebody telling the truth is, yeah, we were there because X, Y, and Z. And here's the interesting fact on that one is because a lot of times they've rehearsed it in their brain and they're recalling and they're describing what they think you're going to ask and what you want to hear. And that's what's important. Here's... Here's an important thing where anybody has teenagers. They said they went to the library, so they've rehearsed what they're going to tell mom and dad. <laughs> okay, I was with Judy and Bill, and we studied psychology, and we went to McDonald's afterwards. And just nod your head and say, okay, what floor did you study on? Uh, uh, fifth, right? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Because they haven't rehearsed that. You caught them off guard. And if you can ask a question that's way out in left field that they didn't plan – that makes a huge difference. Yeah. We have rookie salesmen or, or new persuaders that talk too much, like you said, because and it's not because they, what they're saying is not true. It's because they don't believe it. And you know, just because they don't believe it doesn't mean it's not true. But it has to come out with conviction. So we see that is a similar theme between somebody who is new and somebody who is being deceptive because – they don't believe it. Now, whether it's true or not doesn't change the fact that the person saying it doesn't believe it. Does that make sense? Yeah. When you get nervous or have that lack of conviction or you're a rookie, sometimes, or even fear, sometimes it looks like you're being deceptive because those things are coming across. That's why when you look at persuasive presentations, they might not be lying, but they have a lot of these signals that they are lying. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why it's so alarming. I think that's why people are – they don't want to deal with new persuaders or somebody who's new because all of those subconscious triggers, they're so so similar to somebody who's who's being deceptive. It's exactly true, and so you have to be able to distinguish between the two and, and get that default setting and be able to read the proper language. That's right. That's right. Anything else you want to add when it comes to verbal indications of deceit? The big ones you're looking for is just the difference. You, you're going to see that brain just kick into high gear. You're going to see them again slow down and have those vocal fillers. And it's almost like a deception leakage a little bit that's happening. And we can develop that deception radar 
it makes a big difference in what we're able to do. Because when you're so concerned about your presentation and not looking for these deception clues, you're going to miss out. And just because they're lying, you're not going to call them out on it. You want to kind of keep seeing what's going on. They think they're going to get away with it. They're going to make it easier and easier to detect. And it gives you such a competitive advantage when you are negotiating, when you're negotiating or you're in the middle of, or you're in the middle of a persuasive situation. Yeah, yeah. So let me throw one at you, see what you think about this. Tell me if this is an old wives' tale or not, right? Okay. I've heard people, I've heard sales trainers say that you should never use the phrase, well, to be honest with you, <laughs> right? Because that implies that you have not been <laughs> until that point. What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree 100% with that one. They're like, well, to be honest with you, to be frank, well, to tell you the truth, like, well, what were you telling me before? I wasn't frank and I wasn't honest before. A complete red flag. You're planting a seed. You got to be very, very careful of those that you don't plant those seeds. And that comes along with today I'm going to persuade you or today I'm going to motivate you. Studies show you're going to have the opposite reaction because you built, built, because you built resistance before you even started. We've got vocal fillers and phrases that people just use that they think they're harmless. It turns out they're not harmless on the subconscious level, but this one is especially bad. Just all the implications that it somewhere along the line, somebody thought it'd be okay to say that. I, I don't know how that crept into the, the vernacular. That's crazy. It is. And you see it all the time. It's amazing. Yeah. But what about somebody who just uh, constantly uses humor and sarcasm and gets off topic? Is that person deflecting things, trying to draw attention away from something that they're being deceptive about? Well, you know, humor could go either way. Appropriate humor does increase your ability to persuade and influence. So not so much humor, but if they're deflecting and talking and keep changing the topic and, and going off course and doing other things and not wanting to talk about that thing you know that they're being deceptive on, absolutely, that would be a red flag. Good to know. Good to know. Well, I think that, too, when we talk about verbal deception— it's a combination of so many things, and it ties into the body language because many of these things go go together, as you say, right? So we have to watch for that change of pace and all the other signs that we've talked about because I've heard you say this before. You can't just pick one or two of these out of the air and say, that guy's a liar, right? You've got to have a big cluster, don't you? Yeah, you have to have that cluster, three, four, maybe five, just because you see one or that one vocal filler you're looking for more of them. Like we talked about, lack of detail, too much detail. They're being sarcastic, that sort of thing, like we talked about. But then you also have the stalling mechanisms where they're clearing their throat or they're coughing or they have you repeat the question. Those type of things are also part of those clusters that you're looking for with deception. Right, right. I, I can't believe that this actually dates me a little bit, but I, I love the TV show The Office, right? All, <laughs> all of the random inner office politics and things that happen that we've all had happen to us. And my, my favorite character on there, and we've talked about him on the podcast before, is Andy Bernard. He's the one that talks about the fish on the wall and is just your typical cheesy sales guy who is really into the pop psychology type stuff, right? And and a couple of the office people sneak out and go to lunch one day without the boss, without Michael Scott. And they come back and he says, where were you? And he asks all these employees this one at a time. 
and they all do these terrible things that we've talked about, right? The rambling, the the overcompensation. And Andy Bernard says, oh, well, we went to a restaurant together. We sat by the window. There was a waitress there. She had red hair. I got French fries, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's something to that effect. I'm probably not doing it justice, but he tries to overcompensate with all these details so that it looks like, well, he was really there, right? <laughs> so there you go. What not to do, huh? That's right. That'd be a good example. Yes, good Watch example. Watch The Office. Yeah, we, we like to give you our, our terrible examples on the show. So that's part one of deception. We'll probably tie some more verbal stuff into it next week. And uh, next week we're going to get into the physical, the body language side of deception. So that'll be really fun. If nothing else, at your next social gathering, just watch people and all the body language cues that they're giving. So fun to see people <laughs> at like a party or a social function and you just sit in the back of the room and point out, yeah, she doesn't want to talk to him. He really wants to talk to her, et cetera, et cetera, right? <laughs> Not only is it entertaining, but for a persuader in a non-stressful situation, just to learn these skills can really help you out. Right, right. When you don't have a sale hanging on the line, it really is good practice to just do this and just kind of do it for fun. So there you have it. Kurt, why don't we go ahead and queue up the Homer? All right, Homer, do it. Don't, don't, don't. There it is, and here's a curveball. Cue up the ninja? Uh, ninja, what? go. What? Do you hear the uncertainty double, double? in my voice? Yeah. <laughs> well, tell me what's going on. Well, yeah, yeah. That's that's great, uh, great faking surprise there, Kurt. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, last week I was complaining a little bit on the show about how I had to go to Orange County and I was going to be working on Sunday and I was going to be literally on a plane during the Super Bowl. And I like the Super Bowl. If if you don't get that, on the show, I like football and I like food. And these two things come together gloriously on Super Bowl Sunday, and I was not going to be able to make it. And I didn't. I only saw the last two minutes of the game, which was fantastic. But didn't get to partake in the nachos and the guacamole and the shrimp and the tri-tip and all the just fantastic stuff that happens. So... I haven't seen it just the last two minutes. And I literally have not seen any commercials from the Super Bowl yet, but all over social media, all over everything, people are complaining that the commercials were just terrible this year, that they were depressing. I don't know, animal abuse and starving kids and all this stuff. I, I don't know if that's true that it really happened. Kurt, did the Super Bowl commercials come across as a ninja or a total Homer Simpson blunder this week? Oh, yeah, I'm going to say the answer is yes. We heard both the sounds, and so let me take both sides. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. People are disappointed, obviously, because they didn't have those really funny commercials, and we love the funny, exciting commercials. But then on the flip side, let's look at the science of this. A lot of times when you have those funny commercials, people are laughing and laughing, and then the researcher says, you remember what the product was? They're like, no, but it was funny, right? And as an advertiser, you're thinking, oh, wait a minute, I'm spending all this money to get this laughter. Nobody can remember who I am. And I remember reading the studies from oh, it was probably Super Bowl three or four years ago that and they had a lot of funny commercials, you know, Budweiser, all these great commercials were out there. People were laughing, but they were doing MRIs during the commercial to see which one resonated in most parts of the brain. And it was the Disneyland commercial. Oh, I'm really? going to Disneyland and knowing the feelings and taking your children and having fun and the greatest place on earth. Reality is the emotional ones, even though we don't like to watch them, 
have more of an emotional impact. We remember them more, but it's just not as fun to watch. Well, that makes a lot of sense, though. That really does. And I wonder if that's kind of a new shift in this advertising because... I hope I, not. <laughs> you might not get a, a choice in that because these uh, guys do true. what... What You're spending what, what they cost three million dollars this year, whatever it was. Two, I think it's four point five million dollars oh, wow, for a thirty God. second spot. Yeah, yeah, so I guess they well, they want a return on investment. Who are these people? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe before it was just a badge of honor of hey, we paid for a Super Bowl ad. Now they're thinking, hey, if I'm going to pay four point five, I better see a bump in sales. <laughs> we better do some research and get get some money back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. I heard, you know, like I said, all those sad commercials, but you're probably right. People are probably remembering, hey, you know, that was that commercial. That was really lame. It was funny. I used to make fun of, and this was a blunder on the show way back, way back. Nearing's plumbing, heating and air, right? That this cheesy jingle that I just hated. I just hated it. I thought, that's the dumbest jingle ever. Nearing's plumbing, heating air, just call us and we'll be right there or something like that. But it's way cheesier. Well, I called them once. They actually got me to pick up the phone, and and it worked. The only problem was is they came out and they bid me four times the market for the piece on my furnace. So oh, there, um, you go. there you go, guys. You're blunder again. Was, come on, <laughs> ooh, a little venom, right? A little salt in the wound. Four times, man. It just that's that's just weak. Come on. <laughs> so these things that we might think in the moment are annoying. They're depressing. Maybe the fact is that actually sticks in the consumer's mind and it moves sales. If so, get ready for a lot more depressing Super Bowls. Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. That's probably true. Money. It just... Jeez, return on investment. Come on, people. Slaves to money. All these corporations <laughs> are. Uh, well, all right, there we have it, Kurt. So everybody, we are still going through, we're almost done going through all the contest submissions for maximize your influence that we we did and i think that was on episode yeah episode 72 so if you go to maximizeyourinfluence.com and you got to scroll down you'll see a couple episodes there and you click see all podcast episodes that's what you want to do episode 72 the little blog entry there has the link for you to upload your video or your audio presentation so if you're feeling courageous then we want you to submit yours. Record yourself making your presentation. And I'm not kidding you guys. Kurt and I will watch it for free. And we will give you feedback for free. What are you, scared? Come on. Is that, isn't that less than the cost of a Honda Civic? That definitely is. <laughs> okay, you know what's it. not less than the cost of a Honda Civic is a Honda Accord. There you go. I think Kurt, through all of his weirdness, has introduced a new concept into the show that we're just going to say things are less than the cost of a Honda Civic. I don't even know where that came from. I don't even own a Honda Civic. I don't even want a Honda Civic, but we're talking about Honda Civic. But, it, but it's awesome. That was there awesome, Kurt. I mean, that, <laughs> Thank you. I, I think oh. that's going to stick. Kind of like Urkel, <laughs> Urkel stuck. You just don't even fight me on it anymore. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, for less than the cost of a Honda Civic, in this case is $0.00. We will watch your presentation or listen to it for you and give you complimentary feedback. And we are going to pick the winner and, and feature them on the show if, if they want us to say what their name is. And we're going to give them a full year to Persuasion University, definitely less than the cost of a Honda Civic. And the rest of you need to go to universitypersuasion.com and check it out. So it's not going to be as much as a Honda. There we go. There we go. So send us your feedback, comments, and questions to maximize your influence at gmail.com. Subscribe to the show. Tell your friends about the show. 
pretty please that they can subscribe to it on iTunes through Stitcher Radio. You're out driving around making sales calls. This is a great show to listen to because it keeps you fresh, keeps you on your toes, and will periodically insult you and offend you and make you roll your eyes. How's that for a promo? It works for me. Let's do it. Get on there and do it. Yeah, well, next week we're going to try a depressing promo like the Super Bowl people. So uh, tune in next week, episode 76, for the depressing promo, which probably won't happen. It's fun to say. So I'm rambling. Let's cut it down. Let's be done for the week. Kurt, everybody, thanks for listening to Maximize Your Influence. We'll catch you next week on another episode. Take care and see you next week.